Blog Talk Radio. And welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Rumor Hour. Brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, clifflow.com in Phoenix, Phoenix, New Jersey. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-host, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman of conjurmanconsulting.com in Michigan, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest, Angela Marie Horner of LotusRavenConjure.com in Santa Rosa, California, bringing us today's topic of the history of Ostara. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection. Using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Miss Kat. Hi, 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 Mr. Clifford Hartley Lowe. How are things in your world? Things are really good. Um, I had a really interesting client this week. Uh, not, a, not a novelty for probably you, but a novelty for me. I had a film producer wanting me to uh, open up the pass to his production. Oh, how cool is that? That's unusual. Right. For me, it's cool because I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very cool. Yeah. Well, I have to say I had um, two women with um, – husband slash boyfriend who abandoned them and their uh, babies. Oh, dear. Par for the course. And um, always feels a bit sad and trying to tell them, I'm not seeing a good end to this one. You might want to, you know, reconstruct your life because it's going to, that guy's not going to be a father to your kid. And I also had a a few people wanting to change jobs, which has been a, a thread ever since the beginning of the year. Everybody wants to change jobs. I had a few of those again this year. And I had somebody who wanted to buy a house, and they wanted me to open the road for them to buy a house. So that's what I've been doing. But not a film producer. You beat me on that one. You got me beat. <laughs> but speaking of opening the roads, um, here at the shop, we are getting ready to reopen after two years of being closed for COVID. We are opening tomorrow, and everybody is last-minute scrambling. Um, Nikki, Heidi, and Max are down in the shop uh, cleaning and dusting and stocking shelves. And um, I was down there. I've been down there for three or four days, <laughs> and my back hurts to prove it. And um, we've got things lined up really well. If you do come to the shop, we ask only two favors. Number one, be prepared to wear a mask, please, mm-hmm. and sanitize your hands when you come in. Number two, we will not be following you down the aisles and jamming into corners and breathing your breath 
And so uh, you can bring things to the counter and we can uh, discuss them there. But we're not going to be, uh, you know, none of this. Come over here and, ask, and what is this road opener oil used for? You bring it to the counter. That's <laughs> Oh, and there is a third request, too. And the third request is because we got some calls. We got a bunch of calls. We're coming all the way from Hayward with six people. Please call ahead at least for the first week or two till we get our our sea legs under us again. If you come ahead with six people, um, we're going to have to figure out where to put you all. (laughs) So it's a small shop, as you all know. It's a small shop with a big heart and a lot of output, but we don't have a lot of floor space. It's jammed, jammed to the gills. So that's what we're doing. We're looking forward to seeing people again. So many people, we've left their boxes down um, on the path, you know, to the shop and uh, for curbside pickup, and we haven't seen them in two years. But they keep on ordering, right? And they keep on coming, like um, you know, they come like the fairies in the night, and they take away their packages. <laughs> and uh, but right. uh, it's just it's just really nice to see that we'll see people again. So treat us kindly when we reopen to the public. We've been selling things retail and wholesale online and for curbside. Now we're going back to in the shop. That's my news. And um, and as I said, my back can um, prove that I've been hard at work. <laughs> it's, it's a little stressful. How about you, Conjurman? How, how are things in your world? Things are going uh, well in my world. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on. I'm very excited uh, that you all are opening back up. So many congratulations to all the uh, Good sign. Hopefully things are headed in the right direction. Uh, I do definitely want to also reiterate, please, you know, anyone who visits, wear a mask. If you asshole that ends up making Miss Cat sick, we will never forgive you. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. We have a whole community of root workers with black candles ready. Don't mess with her. (laughs) Just be nice. Show up. Be polite. But I'm assuming it's not too much of a problem. You all are in a, in a relatively good area, I think, Sen- somewhat sensible area of the country, we'll say, where not everyone has lost their goddamn minds. Um, I, do, I, do, I, I, do, I do fear that we are a little bit um, – we may be headed towards another little uptick in the next couple of months, so fingers crossed that we kind of navigate through that. But a lot of clients have also been the kind of readings that I've done are really around this idea of things opening up. People are looking to the horizon. A lot of readings, I would say, last year was really about hanging on, right? These were clients that mm-hmm. were like, life has changed. How do I adapt? Am, am I going to be okay job-wise? Uh, am I going to get fired? Is my relationship going to survive? I've married this person, but we've never been in the same room this long before. <laughs> right, a lot right. of that type of stuff. People were shocked, right? I didn't know my my husband was a whistler. What am I going to do? <laughs> right. So there's a lot of these type of things. But now the readings have changed very much about should I move? Should I buy a new house? So you can see that people are looking to the horizons, and that's kind of a nice sign. I often say that those of us that do readings for clients, we can almost track what's going on in the world by the type of readings we get. We can see the sort of sense, right? We get the the sort of vibe, if you will, of what's happening. And there is definitely a little bit more hopeful of a vibe, and there's definitely a more looking to the horizon vibe. It is interesting that um, I offer a variety of different readings, but the ones that have, like, kind of blown everyone's mind, 
and those of those of you that are astrologers on here, Cliff and and uh, yourself, Cat, will know that in traditional astrology, you don't just examine the sun signs. You don't just examine the ascendant, even though the ascendant is the most personal. But there's all sorts of variety of different signs that matter. People's moon signs, the lunar mansions matter. There's also ways of breaking down the ascendant down into what are known as like the hidden zodiac. So that's been a mm-hmm. really weird trend is when I reveal to people what their hidden zodiac sign is. Like, wait, what? There's other signs other than my sun sign? I'm not just a, a Taurus. <laughs> I'm not just a Leo. There's all these other things. So it's been a really fun and I'd say that's the entire theme of the month has been like fun revelations where people have just kind of had their <laughs> minds blown uh, while they're looking to the horizon. And that feels great. So it is a beautiful spring, a wonderful beginning of the new astrological new year, the Persian new year of Nowruz, um, as well as we had lunar new year last year. So this, I mean, last month. So I think this is the past couple of months are, are opening things up, hopefully for maybe just maybe a brighter spring yeah and we've had um purim and we're going to have yeah and purim yeah it's all it's the it's the whole um pile of um spring festivals are all coming on it's very nice yeah and easter very soon and easter soon too yeah um so it's been it's been nice um it's been nice the weather is great the camellias are in bloom where we are right. in absolute full beautiful bloom it looks the, the world is pink with camellias so um well that brings us to what we're talking about um mm-hmm. and that brings us to our guest so first of all let me say hi to our guest angela are you there i'm here you hello. made it <laughs> yeah we had our fingers crossed there at the last minute. Well, tell us, before we get into the topic, tell us what's going on in Angela Marie Horner's world. Nothing. <laughs> I help take care of my grandmother, so she's my main focus a lot. And uh, luckily, um, Lucky Mojo has started needing me again, so I've been making Mojo hands and taking care of my grandmother. Um, I've been getting a lot more calls from clients, and um, that's been good. I got my website back up, and that's been good. Uh, my Yay. new dog is a pest, which is okay. <laughs> yes, my, my new dog is a pest, which is okay. Uh, so my website is lotusravenconjure.com, and I misspelled raven on purpose because everybody is a raven, so I'm R-A-V-Y-N. But if you type in R-A-V-E-N, it should still go straight to lotusraven.com. Good I made sure you. to get them both. Is lotus an important flower for you? It is. The lotus, oh, okay. Very um, cool. The lotus is. A, I like that flower. I actually, most of my tea sets that I treasure have a lotus in some form on it. Hmm. And, That's uh, cool. It is, yeah. And it is a it is a, a favorite a favorite flower for me. My grandma Nora used to cultivate lotuses and I thought that it was this cool Japanese thing and it was so awesome. No, they were <laughs> Louisiana lotuses. They were they were <laughs> pond they were um uh, lily pad flowers. Mm-hmm. And she lived in Louisiana for a while and she was close enough to the she's close enough to the swampy area that they survived in the climate really well. 
How cool. That is very yeah, nice. So. I had no idea. Yeah, I know. I had no idea. I, I, I figured lotus is a symbol of, you know, meditation and spirituality and sort of the the, the nice things of um, spirituality. And raven is kind of like, mm, you know, it's like double-edged sword there with the raven. Wisdom and also well, a little the bit raven of is, The raven is the symbol of Odin, who, uh, among other things, is a god of divination. Mm-hmm. And the lotus, the uh, the raven brings you messages and fairies messages back and forth between the spirit world and the mm. living world. Uh, a murder of crows is actually good luck if there's eleven of them. It means death if there's thirteen of them, and it wow. means loneliness if there's only one. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen only one crow. Mm. I have. I have once in a while. I've seen one. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is it? Counting crows. One is is for sadness, two is for joy, three is a girl, four is a boy, and so on and so forth with the counting crows. (laughs) That's counting crows. Okay. All right. Well, our our topic this week is the history of Ostara. Now, Ostara is a word with several meanings, but we're going to talk about here, I'm presuming, the meaning of it as a synonym for the vernal equinox. And it's interesting that there is not a lot of historical background to um, calling the spring equinox Ostara. It actually was a what we call reconstructive um, etymology, where people went back to, you know, ancient Germanic languages and said, well, it should have been called this, so we're going to call it that. And they did. <laughs> and, um, that, Which is perfectly legit, and it's so long ago that they did it that everyone thinks of Ostara as the original name of Easter, which it may have been, but there was no written record of it if it was. So it's reconstructed. Um, and this is, um, strangely enough to me, the guy who did the reconstruction and came up with this name, Ostara, as being the original old high German, was a guy named uh, Jacob Grimm, better known for Grimm's fairy tales. And he was a linguist. And so I find it delightful that this name, Ostara, was taken up by people from the neo-pagan tradition, some of whom are in the fairy tradition, and who have sought to um, receive the fairy tales, which are the you know the folk tales, as derivative and um, of older religious tales, which they probably are. And we have Jacob Grimm to thank for that. So that was just my little contribution to the whole idea of Ostara. It's, of course, the ceremony and celebration of uh, eggs and rabbits. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to give it over to you, um, Ms. Lotus Raven. Why the eggs? Why the rabbits? Hmm. Well, one of the, my friend got me into Ostara when I was telling her I wanted to learn more of the holidays of traditional witchcraft instead of Easter, instead of Christmas. And she was like, oh, well, there's one coming up on the spring equinox called Ostara. 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And so she taught me how to do an Ostara ritual, and we, you know, did the whole thing with her kids and my kids, and we had a great old time. And uh, the more I looked into it, the more I found, well, this is interesting because uh, there is a guy who wrote a story called Ostara and the Hare, not ancient but as modern as some skeptics think. And that one I thought was really neat because he, he wrote in his book about a story about the goddess named Ostara turned a bird into a hare. And hmm. to thank her and to thank her for turning her into the hare so he could get away from his enemies, he laid eggs for her as a rabbit. So wow. the rabbit was laying eggs. And so there is a ritual. So it mentioned in this book there is a ritual that they do every year in her honor, and they call it Ostara. So I thought that was nifty. Um, I also, what I also thought was nifty was what my friend taught me was that um, the reason for hiding eggs on Ostara in the first place was for your wishes to become true. And mm-hmm. she said that, you know, if you hide, your, you hide your eggs for Ostara with your wishes in them so your wishes hatch into the world of, into the real world. You take mm-hmm. your wishes from the spirit world, you put them in a real-world vessel, and then you put them out into nature for them to hatch. And she says, now this may not be true, mm. but I did not find it anywhere when I was look, doing the research for it, but she says that Christians used to go out and hunt these eggs down and destroy them to try oh, to teach the... Mm-mm. It sounds accurate, but it sounds mean. No, I, was I don't. Say I that haven't sounds found silly. it. I, I, I think a, yeah. I, I'm going to just jump in here. I think a lot of neo pagans like to see themselves as persecuted when they weren't so very persecuted. But that's just my opinion. Um, there, <laughs> well, there's she wasn't saying it as a neo. On. She wasn't saying it. She wasn't oh, saying ahead. that the neo pagans were the ones being uh, persecuted. She was saying that the witches were being persecuted. Well, that's what I'm saying. That the they neo-pagans... were being they were being turned in. They were trying to be. Um, uh, what do you call it? Converted, you know. Okay. Like I'm going to call. Different... I'm going to call bullshit on it, and I'll tell you why. If you look at things like 500 Points of Husbandry by Thomas Tuster, he's still talking about going out in the fields and tupping, which is old mm-hmm. English for for fucking. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still, you know, tupping on May Day. I mean, they they, they, mm-hmm. they sure they were Christian, but they never gave up their Easter eggs. I mean, right. I'm just saying. I, I think I'm that sure this, they didn't. But this mm-hmm. persecution, this feeling of persecution as a justification of being othered, uh, I, I don't know. I just That's the one reason, and I'm not trying to put any neo-pagans down, it's the one reason I never joined a neo-pagan religion. I was already persecuted enough. You know what I mean? I didn't need to add this yeah. fantasy of more perse- persecution. But I'm going to say something else. There was uh, an old English goddess named Ostra, or Eostra, yes. and this word is related to... Estrus, which is the uh, meaning to be in heat for a for a, a female animal to be in heat. She's in estrus, and so this is a fertility goddess. Now, why rabbits? I guess I, I'm assuming this is sort of a European thing because European hares are like a, a real bountiful food source back in the day before all the forests were. Yeah. yeah, 
And of course, it's the eggs. And people, people not only in in the old days, they didn't just keep chickens. They'd go out egging, and they would go out and actually find eggs to eat. Mm. So when you're talking about people destroying eggs, I I don't think so. I mean, they 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 really they would go out and actually take bluebird eggs and eat the bluebird eggs in uh, in America. They would take um, quail eggs and eat them, and they eat them in Japan too, and and in California. So it's not just the eggs of chickens and dyeing those eggs. But egging is a thing, and it, it was always considered in my family. It was said, if you go egging, you must find a nest that has at least three eggs, and you may take one. Don't take mm. two. Take one. And that way there will be enough chicks you know, for the future. And um, mm. but, but in my family, uh, and there were people who um, went egging with catching wild I mean going to wild birds nest and getting their eggs nowadays you'd think oh how how horrible how how weird but that's because birds are so endangered now compared to what they were they were very plentiful back then mm-hmm. so uh, anyway the, the idea they that also the, learned that if the bird smells you at its nest it may abandon its nest they oh, also yes. learned that yes mm-hmm. that's right that's right you got you got to be you got to be very um sneaky um so the the other thing i was going to say though about about this fertility uh, uh goddess and the the giving of the eggs if you look back at um old germanic and um english but particularly germanic uh recording of of folklore the image of the rabbit with the eggs is so central and they would show um even in old postcards i think we put a few of them up on the on the uh show slideshow at the beginning of the radio show here the the rabbits with wheelbarrows full of eggs it's such a mm. germanic image it's so powerful to people then came the idea of decorating these eggs and then Rehiding them. In other words, first you're just out egging, and now suddenly you're putting eggs in nature, as you said, and then you're hiding eggs for people to find. It's it's weirdly circular. You see, it it starts yeah. with a neo it starts with a Neolithic just going out egging because the eggs are out, and then it becomes a ceremony where you're returning the eggs mm-hmm. to nature, and then it becomes a ritual finding of the eggs. I I think it's yeah. Fascinating. That is that is really cool, and I think this is the the history that uh, that you're bringing up here, Angela, is really a cool history and a fascinating history, because I think what it does is it shows us the way in which people actually accommodate, people adapt, the way that people incorporate, assimilate, and how cross cultural people truly are. Ideas move and flow. Things don't exist in these sort of silos, and I think um, Kat rightly points out that, for example, we don't actually see a sort of mass persecution of pagans ever in in history in the way that people imagine it. Certainly, confessional violence exists, right? Religious violence exists on all sorts. But in actuality, like as, as Christian orthodoxy is forming, the majority of that violence is directed towards other Christians and mostly Jews, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, mm-hmm. It's not actually directed towards pagans. Even the, even the very date of Easter, right? It shifts from the lunar calendar, which is predominantly the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar is lunar. It shifts away from that and fixes to the post-vernal equinox, adopting the Roman system. I mean, the Council of Nicaea very openly says, let us not have nothing to do, and I quote, with that detestable race, which they mean the Jews. 
So there, there, mm-hmm. you do certainly see some form of violence, but it's actually directed towards other Christians. But what this really talks about is the way in which local practices continued, that Christianity became Romanized, that it became Germanized, that it mm-hmm. adopted these traditions, and that people, despite now saying, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we're still painting eggs and putting them out in the, in the woods. And that is so cool because it shows the endurance of tradition. Here we are in 2022 still talking about it, but also the ubiquity of it. We know that the ancient Romans painted eggs. We know that painting eggs also shows up in various local Jewish traditions in the Mediterranean. We know that mm-hmm. the Persians also painted eggs. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the uh, New Year festivals of Nowruz is quite literally painting eggs. Though we crack them, we don't find them. But we crack the egg. Uh, it's a little game you play. You paint your eggs. Each one picks one, and you sort of pop them against each other. And whichever egg cracks first, that person loses the game. Uh, and so, but it's the same idea. You paint the eggs. And so there is this almost cross-cultural thing that's found throughout the Mediterranean, throughout Eurasia, about people around this time of year saying, look, the sun is up. Winter has been defeated. We are going to make jolly, make merry. We're going to paint some eggs. <laughs> and we're still doing that in 2022. Yeah, and I just I want to put out a little note here about the about the Ukrainian painted eggs too. And uh, if you all follow Madame Pamita, um, she's on Facebook and and Instagram. Uh, She's of Ukrainian descent, and she's been uh, putting out a lot of material about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But she's also been talking a lot about painted Ukrainian eggs because this is the season. There's something still there to rejoice about. The The idea of wax-resist painting eggs, and when I was young, mm-hmm. there was a way where you would take, uh, was a flower-resist. You would take flowers and bind them to the egg with thread and then cover the whole thing with brown onion skins and tightly bind it up and and boil it. And then when you unpeeled the thread, you would see the resist of the flowers and they would be in different colors, like, you know, yellow mm. for calendula or whatever. And then wherever the flowers were not, it would be brown. And they were beautiful um, to do those wax, excuse me, to do flower resist egg dyeing. If anyone's yeah, ever tried really cool. it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's very cool. I wanted to ask Angela because I'm very curious. Um, painted eggs, how do they show up? Do you have a family tradition of painted eggs? Uh, is it something from, from your religious background? Is it cultural background? Was it an Easter thing for you? I'm very curious about like the family tradition. Cause we talk history, right? And history's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm obviously a history nerd, but I'm also interested in the personal components of it. Like what did our, our different families do with painted eggs? What did we do around this vernal equinox or this Easter or the kind of family traditions there? I'm very curious. Well, when I was growing up, mom was trying to make everybody be Catholic, even my poor dad, who's <laughs> Baptist. <laughs> and uh, the only special thing we did with the dying eggs was we took um, wax and drew pictures and stuff in the wax, you know, with the wax on the oh. eggs. And then when you dunk them into the pot to dye them, the places that had the wax drawings don't get dyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had cool. so the Very shell creative. was still white in those places, and um, after a few years, we started getting plastic eggs, you know, to add to the 
to add to the fun, and we'd fill them with candy. And then um, mm-hmm. uh, the one church thing that we did with her was this huge, giant gathering, and all these kids. I just remember that all of us little girls were standing around comparing our ruffles and our little hats. And mm-hmm. so we were like, I was dressed in this powder yellow dress with the little ruffles at the feet and the little white shoes and the little ruffled hat and little ruffled this and ruffled that and ruffled everything and ruffled on the basket. And we were running around like crazy, like crazy people. I bet if you could have seen us from the sky, we looked like little colored eggs running around the, <laughs> <laughs> the park picking up the eggs. And um, they, the adults put money in some of the, uh, some of the uh, plastic eggs. And mm-hmm. if you've got a dollar, you're supposed to come up and say, look, I got a special dollar. And they would say, oh, you're going to be lucky all year. And, you know, that was kind of cute. Oh, that's very cool. Very cute. <laughs> Kat, did your family do any egg coloring and egg paintings at all? Well, only insofar as my family had a lot of folklorists in it. Right. Um and my mother liked crafts, and my mother's best friend taught art to children. And she was the one who taught us how to make the flower-resist eggs. And um, mm-hmm. as Shiva mentions, there was a brand, uh, Pass Egg Dyes, and we would dye eggs. But I was sort of an outsider to that, and mm-hmm. but I really liked it because I liked the colors of eggs. And just as soon as ever I could, I started raising chickens because I found out that there was a breed of chickens called oracanas that lay blue or green mm-hmm. or olive green eggs. So I made it a point to have chickens that laid white eggs, tan eggs, brown eggs, blue eggs, green and olive green eggs. And then I felt I had achieved kind of my own, you know, Torian natural idea. I didn't have to dye them anymore. I also have to say though, when I was when I was younger, I had to, I had a lot of banty chickens. I really like banties and they make little tiny eggs. And I used to use a rapidograph, which is a very fine ink pen that uses India ink, and I would draw and write on these eggs. And I made then I would blow them out and I made um it, this was how perverse I was. I'm not Christian, so everyone would want to have Christmas. So I thought, I'm going to decorate a Christmas tree with eggs because, mm. because you know what I mean? Because I'm going to, if I'm going to be an outsider, I'm going to be an outsider 100%. So I made all of these tiny little eggs, which I illustrated with little line drawings. I remember on one of them, I, mm. I put the, the whole text of the 12 days of Christmas, very tiny in a spiral mm. around it. And then I but oh, then cool. of course but then again instead of having a Christmas tree, uh you know, God forbid, I bought a Calmondon orange tree and which has very small oranges <laughs> on it. And so mm. I hung the eggs because the oranges are, you know, were out at that time. So mm. I hung the eggs on the orange tree. Okay, that's how oh, I wow. celebrated <laughs> I don't know what. But in order to do that because the chickens were not laying at Christmas, you had to save your eggs from e- mm. springtime all the way to the next year. I still have some of those eggs. I oh, know I'm cool. just funky different, just funky different. <laughs> but we should we should also note here that uh, we mean you mentioned Ukraine, right? And the Ukrainian uh, eggs also, but traditionally in Eastern Europe in particular, we should say, 
they often darkened the eggs with onion skins. It was one way in which they colored it, which is actually mm-hmm. what people in the in mm-hmm. the Persian world still do. The the common way mm-hmm. of coloring the wheat wheat colors mm-hmm. with onion skins. That actually mm-hmm. is a Jewish tradition. So we should note this. That here's how we can see those kind of cross cultural, across confessional mm-hmm. boundaries. But, but Sephardic Jews in the Mediterranean, particularly in Salonika, uh, would paint uh, for the Sabbath. Before the Sabbath, they would prepare these baked eggs using onion skins, uh, and mm-hmm. they have a very particular name known as huevos caminados, which is just baked eggs, and that tradition of using the onion skins, which is a Jewish practice of baking the eggs with the onion, coloring them, giving that nice, rich kind of brown color to the egg, it's really beautiful, very mm-hmm. natural looking, that then gets adopted in Eastern Europe, and so you can find those exact same colored type eggs with onions, but it's originally a Jewish practice. Yeah. Yeah, that is that that um, brown using onion skins to dye eggs is very natural too because the onion skins are curved and they fit yep. the egg very nicely. <laughs> so. And I have one one more thing I do want to say here about about Easter and my weird collection of Easter postcards, which is extensive <laughs> and contains rabbits and eggs. Um, I always wanted to be invited to an Easter egg hunt by the little Christian children. They would they would have their Easter egg hunts. They would be Methodists or Lutherans or Baptists, and they would have Easter egg hunts. And n- none of them ever invited me. And Aww. I was, <laughs> I know, well, how would they? Well, they I would, you know. I would so, have invited um, you. <laughs> <laughs> we hear we hear the voice of hope there. <laughs> so so um it was it was interesting because there would be books about them and one of my favorite books was called The Country Bunny and the Little Gold Shoes and it was written by DeBose Hayward who um was a southern white man who devoted his entire life to writing fiction about African American people he he's the guy who wrote Porgy and Bess for instance the the book Porgy mm-hmm. And he wrote some of the songs for the the play and the movie Porgy and Bess. Um, he wrote this this story, and it is considered to be a, a feminist and especially black feminist classic. It's about a little brown cottontail rabbit who is laughed at because she wants to become an Easter bunny. And it says mm-hmm. all of the Easter bunnies are white males. And all she's ever done is raise 21 babies. And she they, they say, you can't be an Easter bunny. And this story just thrilled me when I was a child. I loved it. She ends up, well, I won't give away the plot. You can go buy it. It's still in print. Um, <laughs> the Country Bunny and the Little Gold Shoes. She ends up earning her gold shoes. And so this story to me was about feminism and also about mm. um you know it's obviously about black culture although very highly disguised it's about a, mm. a black woman who rises to the heights and is better than all of the white men very but you know hey it's rabbits Da-da-da-da. it's just rabbits mm. folks <laughs> don't worry your kids are not learning about equality and and uh <laughs> no anyway it's a very Got to sneak it in. So to me, that represented the colored eggs. The illustrations in the book are by a woman named Marjorie Flack, who was a very good illustrator. And um, like I said, go look it up online if you can't if you can't uh, 
she posted in the chat. How sad. White <laughs> bunny privilege. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> White bunny privilege. That's cute. <laughs> it is the, uh, the other thing I find quite fascinating about uh, this tradition is how communal it is, right? It is fundamentally a community activity. Uh, I think sometimes we, we often have a hard time understanding even our Christmases uh, have become quite solitary, right? And this is probably doubly so uh, in the COVID world, right? The coronavirus world has really made us solitary. But the, a lot of these traditions are community-oriented. They're about getting people together. And not just your immediate family, right? But the cousins get together, and the cousins' cousins get together, and the neighborhood kids get together. And whether it's gift-giving or, in this case, looking for eggs, right? Schools do it. Kindergartens do it. Children do it. They do it in parks. So there's a way of reconnecting to nature, which, again, reflects that sort of vernal equinox experience, the idea that the sun is now triumphant. The nights are going to – they're going away. The cold is going away. Let's enjoy the nature. And so there's, a, there's this natural component. To it. But there is this communal component as well. And there's – powerful magic in that. I think sometimes we struggle when we talk about root work, when we talk about magic, when we talk about rituals, whatever it is, we often talk about it assuming a sort of solitary practitioner position. You in your bedroom lighting candles. You in your Mm -hmm. altars lighting, right? Whereas you look Mm -hmm. at something like this, the magic of finding eggs collectively, this spreading of joy, whether it's chocolate eggs or colored eggs, the act of coloring them together, that is a very different modality of working, a much more community-oriented way of working. And there's great power in reconnecting to that. So I think if people, I mean, people are probably tuning in, going, why the hell are you talking about colored eggs on a hoodoo uh, radio show? Well, there's a reason for it. Not only are we talking about its Christian roots, its pagan rituals, we're also talking here about the communal aspect of it. And the power mm-hmm. that comes from being a root worker in a community, a spiritual practitioner in a community, bringing joy to that community, bringing sweets to the children, there's power there in reconnecting. So I think there, there's a, not just a nature component, but a community component that we should highlight and emphasize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea of the, of the community. And as soon as I had uh, a child of my own, lived on a commune where most of the people were Christian on that commune. Uh, Of course, then I got to go Easter egg hunting Mm. (laughs) with my friends. I got to join a community of that. Um, It's it's an interesting thing to me, the magic of eggs. You know, Mm. another thing that I found was really important, not as a religious thing, and this was among Christians who really thought of themselves as Jesus worshiping Christians, they many of these old farm women that I knew in the Ozarks back in the 70s, they would have a deviled egg platter. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It would be a, a platter that would hold 12 half eggs that were deviled eggs. And I always thought it was interesting they called them deviled eggs, as if we're acknowledging this is not Christian, right? These are deviled eggs. um, But that would be something that around this time of year, when the hens start to lay, people would come out with their deviled egg platter 
and you'd you know be invited over to their house and for lunch and you'd have deviled eggs and they would be on these beautiful plates and every family had at least one of these deviled egg platters all, all different I mean they were they came, they came in glass they came in porcelain they came in metal and um, it was such an interesting thing to see how tied still to nature people were that when the when the hens are laying you have too many eggs right and then that's why I guess some of them get colored and given away to the kids, you know. And then later you have no eggs at all. But I used to love having deviled eggs in the spring, and I love the idea of deviling them as opposed to, I don't know, Jesusing them, right? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying. It would struck me at the at the time as an outsider looking at it. Going, why are they calling them deviled eggs? <laughs> like, might as well hang out with the devil a little bit, <laughs> right? My my aunt refuse. I have an aunt who refuses to call them deviled eggs. She calls them stuffed eggs. Ah, and corrects that's a- me. And she corrects me every time. I'm like, Auntie, do you want some deviled eggs? I don't eat the devil. I will have stuffed eggs though. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's that, that's interesting. Well, uh, I I have to say that to me. The ceremonies of springtime are wonderful and varied. Um, mm-hmm. I I I look at it all as something very very beautiful. The egg mm-hmm. also, just to throw in another little bit of of, of folklore, the egg in um, in any religion that has a um, evil eye belief or any culture, mm-hmm. I should say, not religion. Um, the egg is an eye symbol, especially when you cut it in half, right? Mm-hmm. So the egg, it can also ward off the evil eye. And yeah, anything yeah. egg-shaped, like almonds also and other things of that nature. And I always thought it was interesting among Jews, the idea of Jordan almonds, which, of course, to many Christians, they go, oh, yeah, Jordan almonds, you have them at weddings. Well, Jordan, just think about Jordan, and you'll all of a sudden go, wait a minute, these are... Um, eggs. The Jordan almonds are almonds, like an eye, like an egg, and they're colored in those same pastel colors mm-hmm. as the eggs. And they mm-hmm. are given out as a present at a wedding or any kind of a festivity that has to deal with what fertility, right? So mm-hmm. everybody is given. It comes to the wedding, and they're given all of these colorful egg-like almonds. And mm-hmm. basically what you're eating them is you're wishing for the couple, the happy married couple, to have children. It's a, mm-hmm. it's one of those magic spells that you don't even think about it until you start thinking, why? Why, why is mm-hmm. it happening right. that way? So right. we all partake at the wedding. We all partake of people's fertility. Now, when I was a kid, every wedding had all of the pastel colors of the Jordan almonds. Recently, I've been to a couple of weddings where they had only white uh, Jordan almonds. They wanted some sort of a purity, and I, I felt like, oh, yeah. are they are they actually going to have children or not? Because <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I think the egg is. I mean, the egg is interesting in this regard because it's nature's uh, natural container spell, right? Mm-hmm. It's about containing, and so it's very different in its sort of protective qualities than say other talismans are or other objects are that are natural. For example, silver is warding meaning it sort of reflects, mm-hmm. whereas the egg absorbs. So there mm-hmm. is a difference here in the way that we think of them. And this is also readily understood in hoodoo as the egg, but not just in hoodoo and Afro-Caribbean tradition, in uh, Central American tradition. 
in the Mediterranean, the egg is not seen as reflective per se, but as containing. So it can contain mm-hmm. goodness, the joy, children, potential, right? It can, mm-hmm. can contain money, as uh, um, Angela talked about, which is a really cool tradition, right? You contain mm-hmm. a little bit of luck, put in a plastic egg, let a child find it. You could put candies in it. You could put happiness in it. You could put all sorts of things in it. You can also put nasty stuff, right? Eggs for breakup mm-hmm. spells are also quite common uh, that we're fine. But the egg actually draws out, that it pulls things. So there's a component of drawing out. There's a component of – and so this is why eggs are also used in cleansing work, right? It's used to draw mm-hmm. out the evil eye. It's used to draw out any sort of malefica that has been placed on people. And so it is a different way of, of protecting and healing and whatnot than, say, silver does or other forms. Amuletic, the evil eye charm is reflective. It drives away. It's apotropaic. The egg is more self-sacrificing. It takes into itself and then it is disposed. Or it takes into itself and it is contained and then you crack it open. So there is mm-hmm. a component of the egg that uh, you have to crack it open or you have to dispose of it, which is what makes it so you know, it's utility. It's found in good works, in good rituals, in bad rituals, in protective rituals, in healing rituals, and why we still paint eggs and put them out in the forest or in the grass for people to find, or why we even use, you know, plastic eggs. You know, we we all kind of hate plastic, but there's a reason why. You can pop it open and put stuff in it. But before we had plastic eggs, people would put them in just natural eggs, right? You'd contain it. So there's a containing component, this disposing component, this self-sacrificing component that is found within eggs and egg work that is ubiquitous across cultures, uh, which is why we find it in sort of the, the vernal equinox traditions and the Easter traditions, uh, but also all the sort of pagan uh, spring festivals as well. It contains the goodness. It contains hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a, a another thing here that we kind of want to talk about, I think, which is cultural sharing. Um, this is about Astara, but the spring equinox happens to everybody, no matter what culture you're in and no matter what background you have. So there are these similarities, there are differences, but some of the Mm. cultural festivals are so much connected to the actual place of our planet and our solar system, our seasons. When you go farther north or south from the equator, the seasons are more extreme, as we all know. And the idea of um, instead of just having a, a tropical climate that's pretty much all the same and a daylight and and, um, and nighttime which are about the same, we start seeing these ideas of a, an equinox. And the equinox is when they are equal, the day and the night are equal. And that becomes a, a point that is a, a, a real serious time point for anyone mm. involved in agriculture or or animal husbandry or hunter-gathering or anything, you notice it. And so there's a natural um, pulse to life. And we've just come from, you know, the shortest um, day, which was winter, and now we're at the equinox. I'm very sad that uh, the powers that be have decided to screw all of this up with daylight savings time. They're making a big mistake. Mm. But that's their prerogative. They're in charge. But the equinox has a lot of meaning for people in addition to 
it's a time of fertility, it's a time of balance mm. also. And is, in many yeah. cultures, uh, it's a time of rejoicing. Things have gone right for a change. And mm. so um, that's one of the things I also like about Easter. Now, we would be um, unkind to not mention the Christian idea of the suffering of Jesus at Easter. We do have mm. to mention it. But that is uh, what I would call a tragedy in search of a holiday. Um, I don't know that anyone knows when that happened, but as you said, Ali, that there was this attempt on the part of Christians to get away from things that were Jewish. And so Passover, which is a ceremony of yeah. liberation and, and or not ceremony rather celebration of liberation and freedom mm-hmm. from slavery you know became this uh, commemoration of a well whatever the um, the death of someone it's a very out of place ceremony and I think others have noticed this as well Christmas makes sense okay it's the birth of new light solar god da 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 but Easter as a time of Fasting and and suffering and and stuff is very out of tune with the other cultures' happy, happy springtime. Mm. And I think so that's the emphasis why... uh, starts, especially I would say, in more modern times, is more emphasized on the on the resurrection of Jesus. I will, I will never forget the time I was invited. This was the first time I was invited to like one of these uh, evangelical churches. Which they go all out on Easter. Let's just, let's just say, right? And mm-hmm. so here I am, my little Muslim ass is, uh, is at this evangelical church, uh, and I'm, mm-hmm. I know Christianity. I'm more familiar with Catholicism at this age. I was very young, I was in my teens. But uh, they're going around and they're hugging each other and they, they're saying, "He is risen. He is risen." And the mm-hmm. alarm on my face, because naturally my first thoughts go to zombies. I'm like, who has risen? What's going on here? What do you mean someone has risen? And it took me a bit to realize that they're emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus, which then clicked for me. So it is interesting that, for example, in traditional Christianity, you're absolutely right. You can say in Eastern Orthodox tradition and Catholicism, the Easter ceremony really emphasizes a period of almost mourning, Right. I get mourning mm-hmm. might be the right word for it. Like, oh, there's fasting. There's a grief almost. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking here about the people who do, like, Easter pilgrimages to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where they, like, mm-hmm. weep, right? Because they're walking on the mm-hmm. Via Dolorosa, the path of Jesus, the mm-hmm. suffering. But you can see mm-hmm. that there is a shift because I think people recognize to some extent that there's a <laughs> tonal disparity or, like, a tonal, dis- you know, dissonance where evangelicals now are much more about the whole, he's resurrected, he's resurrected, this is his celebratory, this is celebratory, and he has risen. It's like even the word, he has risen, or the other thing that I kept hearing, uh, which I thought was really interesting, and it took me a bit to connect, being the religious scholar that I am now, uh, was that the tomb is empty. The tomb mm. is empty is what you, you kept hearing, right? He's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's conquered death. And so it's interesting that they, they now in more contemporaneous terms are talking I would say in more modern terms, are almost adopting that vernal, you know, that spring mm-hmm. spirit that you find almost cross-culturally. They recognize that, all right, we've got to shift down a little bit. You do see well, more I, language I, around resurrection now. Yeah, I hope so. And, uh, and I'll tell you why, because Easter, to me, growing up, especially in Santa Monica, where my mother went to work as a librarian at UCLA, 
Yeah. I'm telling you, um, that was a lot of, um, you know, that the the veil of the temple is rendered in the old the yes, old Jewish yeah. ways are done, done, done. And by the way, yeah. let's just beat up a couple of Jewish kids because you killed Christ, right? And yeah. so to me, Easter was this oddity. It was very strange. You know, I wanted the yeah. rabbits and the eggs very, very badly. Um, because but I it came with all this other I, good nasty stuff too. Right, right. Yeah, right. No, I get and, it. Um, I get it. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, really, and and you know, we had an egg. There's an egg for, we had an egg for Passover, and we had, you know, but we got all this other great stuff too. You know, at Passover, so that was nice. We got the yeah. Hillel sandwiches that they didn't get, but it was this oddity that, you know, I was very frightened at that time because that was when a lot of anger came out toward Jewish kids from Christian kids, and I'm, you know, you have to wonder what. Were their parents saying, you know, Tommy, I want you to go beat up, you know, this other little kid because, you know, here's why. Why would they do that? Yeah. You know, but it was something that happened a lot. And uh, I always wished that they would just celebrate daffodils. They would always have pictures of daffodils and Eastern lilies and the bunnies and the rabbits. And I thought, if they do that, they'll be safer for us. Right, right. <laughs> Which really brings up the point that how are how are these festivals celebrated, whether we're talking about Easter or whether we're talking about other cultural religious festivals, are there sites of are we using them as sites of exclusion? This is our festival, not yours. This is mm-hmm. where we celebrate, and you're the bad guy. I mean, right? The Jews killed <laughs> yeah, Jesus, right. and the temple is rent. Like, what the f are you on about? Right? right. Like, of all the things, are you going to use your festival to say stuff like that? Right? Yeah. Or right. are I we know. going? Look, these are eggs. Every kid loves eggs. Let's get right. all the kids involved to paint some eggs. So these are really, and this goes back to that community language I was talking about. What type of community are you intentionally building? Are you building one yeah. that celebrates beauty and love and life? And it says, hey, kids love painting things. Let's paint these mm-hmm. things and put them out there. Kids love candy. Kids love money. Right? <laughs> but, but I love that tradition. Put the money in the, in the egg. I thought that's so cool, right? Because every kid wants to find a dollar. Every kid right. wants to get the lucky dollar. Or are you going to use this as a way of ostracizing? And, and so they, let's be intentional of our, in our festivals, I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, every loved kid loves candy. Um, we used to get also, and this is something, again, that I, I love, but very Germanic, with these chocolate Easter eggs. And when you looked mm-hmm. inside, there was a whole scene, but it was never Jesus being crucified. I thought if you looked at right. one of these eggs, you'd find, you know, it'd be the crucifixion. No, when you looked inside, it was baby chicks and um, mm. and things. And then you could eat the chocolate bunny, and there would be a little fluffy, uh, well, I guess it was made out of some sort of little, you know, fiber, yeah. um, um, twisted on wire like pipe cleaner. And then you'd get a little chick, and you could keep the chick. Those were wonderful. And the idea of the sacred chick kind of entered my mind. That Right, um, right. You know, as a child, I'm trying to figure out, what are these people doing? Oh, I see. They have a sacred chicken. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way your mind works. I want to ask both of you real quick, without spoiling the free spell, because I think the free spell is really cool, and so people should tune in to the end. But we have a couple minutes. It would behoove us, since we're all root workers. This is the perfect holiday to do some root work. Right, this is the perfect time because everything mm-hmm. is sweet. You were talking about the baby chicks, and I immediately thought about those like marshmallow peeps, right? The little like mm-hmm. just pure. 
you oh, got crack cocaine, the peach. They're just pure sugar. But like, imagine like if you're a root worker and you're get you're buying yourself some peeps, pray over those mm-hmm. peeps, right? Those can be mm-hmm. such a great fix and give someone you really like, a little bit mm-hmm. of sweetness, right? Or if you can make mm-hmm. your own homemade peeps, if you don't make the peeps, you can also roll the peeps in very carefully, sprinkle your own fixed sugar from your sugar jar. What a way of working, right? Just a pinch of your fixed sugar right over those peeps, give it to the person that you love. So what are some other ways that people can incorporate all the sweetness and all these things uh, I, and maybe a little bit of magic work? Nagashiva's um, ex-wife, who's a very good friend of the family, she's a good ex, not not one of those bad exes, they have a, um, her and, and her family have a tradition of the annual peep roast. And, oh. um, yeah, they roast the peeps and <laughs> And then sometimes oh, because they they're marshmallow, you can roast them. They're marshmallow, right? So it's the peep roast, and this is a whole um, quasi-religious ceremony. I mean, it's it's a parody ceremony, but it's fun as hell. The peep roast, and then sometimes when when things get a little bit more rambunctious, they put firecrackers in the peeps and blow the peeps up. Oh, <laughs> uh, the old days, the good old days of the peep roast. How about you, Angela? What 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 things do you think of doing that can be uh, a sneaky trick or something that can be done with the eggs? With the eggs, I, I like the idea of you know, I like the idea of hollowing them out, of blowing them and putting stuff in them. Um, I have uh, last, I think it was last Easter when I was redoing my money altar. I went to the dollar store and I bought a bunch of their little um, plastic decoration robin eggs and, and little tiny eggs and stuff, and I made a, a whole uh, money fertility kind of spell because fertility isn't just reproductive. Fertility is anything you right. want to be fertile. So mm-hmm. I used it for, like, money fertility, and I used it for client fertility, and I used it for – I used it for everything. I had um, – I had a client who wanted to get pregnant, and the first spell I did for her uh, was with a conch shell, you mm-hmm. know, and you take it and you put the little baby in the conch shell and the herbs and all this kind of stuff and, you know, seal it with paper so that it's not, like, completely occluded. It can just come out. And then I was like, you know what? Let's try this. And so I took, because women have eggs and men have sperm, so I took mm-hmm. the, the, the little egg I wish I'd taken pictures as a spell, but uh, I sent them to her. I don't think I have the pictures anymore. But I took this egg, I you know left it intact. I put the little the little baby in the egg, and I I set it in like uh-huh. a little nest for a few days. You know, like I think wow. it was nine days. It was nine months, so I set it in there for like nine days, mm-hmm. and then I you know took and then we. Uh, when I was on the phone with her with the music playing, we birthed the little baby from the egg and washed it and everything and put it in the, the fertility spell. And she did actually get pregnant. Like three That's or four months later, she actually got pregnant. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, our time is up. Um, so we got to go on to the next segment of the show. Thank you so much, Angela, for bringing us Ostara with all the strangely... Um, cross-cultural themes that it opened up for us. Um, We're going to turn this over to Clifford, and he's going to bring us our client. Certainly. 
Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. Look it online at luckymojo.com and by the Association of Independent Readers and Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line, run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com and by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. To go to the phones and talk to today's client. Caller is Triple Virgo calling. Uh-oh. Has Clifford disappeared? Mm, I have no oh, sound yeah. at all. What? Yeah, I don't hear him either. Clifford is gone. Uh-oh. Nagashiva, can you come in? Yep, we need someone to introduce. Uh-oh. <laughs> we're, we're falling apart here. Hmm. Okay, Triple Virgo. Is Triple Virgo here? Yes. Hi, Triple Virgo. Um, so uh, I can read it. I can read it, read it real quickly if you'd like. Uh, yes, let me just good. go through Thank this. You. So, Triple Triple Virgo calling in from Texas. Uh, she, uh, she is it all right if I say she? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, I have. She gives a really brief description. My wonderful Torian husband. You're off to a good start. You're getting in good with the Tauruses here. My wonderful Torian husband is currently incarcerated. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. And is coming up on his fourth parole review. We have an excellent attorney on hand this time around. I am hoping for a reading and any root work for his successful return home. All right. Um, and can someone post that in the chat log? Ah, there it is. Got it. Thank you. Okay. So, um, hi, Triple Virgo. I guess you're a Virgo. I get. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, all right. So, this sounds really, really good. I'm going to do the first reading. Angela will do the second reading. And Conjurman will do the root work recommendations. Okay? Excellent. So, what what I have here is a... A Rider Waite tarot deck, and I'm just going to make the old three-card cut. And this is really going to be about um, your attorney and any kind of root work that might be indicated in the cards. Card number one is the High Priestess, a very good card. I'm going to assume that this is probably you, since you know about magic. This High Priestess is a card of a woman who practices magic, is very balanced on what we would call the left-hand path and the right-hand path. She's a woman who understands timing. She has a lot of symbols of the moon on her. And she's multicultural. She has the cross of Christianity, the Torah of Judaism, the crescent moon of Islam. And she even has an ancient Egyptian crown of Hathor and Isis. Behind her, she has pomegranates, and palms. And pomegranates are female emblems, palms are male. So this says that you have a lot of power in this situation. Now I have a question. Is the attorney male or female? Female. Female. So this could be the attorney as well. That's why I asked, because I don't want to go too far down a path and say this must be you. If this is the attorney, this mm. is great. If it's you, it's great. This is somebody who really knows uh their business and it's a it's a great card and it shows Help comes to your Torian from a female 
quadrant, and it could be you and your attorney working together. It's quite quite good. The next card is uh, a card that says to me there is um, some possibility of of uh, rejoining the path of life. It's another trump, and this card is called Temperance. And so here we have a path that has been interrupted by some water, and it's going to pick up again on the other side. And this shows that he has to walk through the water. Again, the female influence is shown because there are iris flowers, which the flowers are very female-looking. They look like women's genitals. And in hoodoo, those are usually called Queen Elizabeth Root. So I would say that that would be something, very strong female energy here that is going to help. Um, The archangel is pouring water between two cups, showing uh, balance is restored. And the path will be rejoined. So this is a good card. And there's a crown. The uh, crown usually means that the end of life will be... um, even better than the beginning of life, that the troubles experienced in youth will be uh, remediated. And this is a great card. You could um, also do some prayers to uh, Archangel Raphael, the healer. But um, there is is a lot in this card that says uh, good things can happen. And the third card is a card that I've kind of like. Also, in a situation like this, it's not um, a bad card. It's not a great money card. It's the Three of Pentacles, and it shows three people working to build a a little arch in a church, and it's the only pentacle card in which there are no golden coins. So what we're seeing here is sort of a non-profit and the ability to create for the sake of creation, for the sake of spirituality. And it shows a team of people doing this. There is an architect, there is a monk, and there is a stonemason. And with this card, uh, what I see is that um, he will um, be able to find a place for himself in life. Now, he was. I, I have a question for you. What he was—I don't want to get into what he was incarcerated for—but has he understood that he's going to go on and have a different and better life? I mean, is he resolved to have a different and better life? Oh yes, completely okay. different life from before. Okay, because this is what I'm seeing here. This is somebody who joins in to um, to help build and create a spiritual space, and who is who becomes part of a group that will work together to build something. And it may be that done not, not to make a million dollars, not to, not for profit, but really to help other people. It's a great card for that. It does show there may be some financial hardship, but it's always done in a spirit of giving to the community. So what I see here is pretty good. Um, looks like the lawyer and you are both working really hard. And what I see here is some water, um, and I'm also seeing perhaps a talisman or something of that nature with the um, pentacles. Okay, so I'm going to turn this over to Angela, and she's going to give you a reading. Sorry, my phone wouldn't unmute for a second there. Okay, so uh, how are you holding up? Are you Okay. 
Um, as good as I can be. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, that is interesting. Well, I I have the uh, Ravenloft deck, and uh, it's it's called a Taroka deck, but it's not a Tarot deck. It's a Oracle deck. So the first card I pulled is the Hangman, and in my deck, the Hangman means getting caught for something, getting caught in the act for something, getting getting in trouble for something, whether you did it or not, and uh, being persecuted for something whether or not it was your fault. So this is saying that, you know, whatever whatever was done was not it was it was his fault in a way, he is actually guilty of it in a way, but the punishment is harsher than the deed. And True. that the and and the next card I'm getting is the broken one. This one is mental instability. Uh it also means sadness and depression and such. So this is, seems to be focusing on the way he's feeling about what's going on and possibly even the way you're feeling about what's going on. Um, keep up the encouragement because right. once he does manage to get paroled, it's hard out there for people who've mm-hmm. been in jail. And it gets really depressing, and they fall back into their old ways easily because it's so much easier than fighting through all of the discrimination. So it's warning, so the the broken one is warning about keeping up community, getting him into a new community and not with those friends that are going to get him back into trouble. Uh, The priest is the last card I get, and that that one means seeking a higher power. So it is definitely telling you to do root work. Yes, you're going to do root work on the judge and the parole and blah, 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 but perhaps sneak in a crucible of courage for him because in all of in all of the fight to get him out, he is actually being a bit forgotten. And so he does need the extra boost of the crucible of courage, of the encouragement um, to be in a different, to, to make a difference and be in a different situation. You know, oh, I've been caught at this. I got trouble for something. They're treating me so much harsher than usual. They dehumanize you in prison. Mm-hmm. They, they treat you like an animal because some of those people, some of them actually are animals. Right. But they treat everybody the same, which is harshly. So it's good that the hang, in my opinion, in this situation, these cards, it's good that the hangman came out because that means that, yes, he is being over-persecuted, and that makes it so that, you know, yeah, we can find those loopholes. We can find those, um, those golden nuggets to help, you know, say, hey, no, 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 see, time's served. Let's get out of here. And, you know, the broken one warning you to make sure he gets counseling and the priest encouraging you to get the the root work. It does all sound really good to me. It does. It, it, it sounds like it's going to help out, but he needs to be concentrated on more what during this and once you're uh once you're once you're out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, Ramona uh, of Ramona Speaks the Other Truth in the chat said, A good prayer is Psalm 142, verse 7. Set me free that. from prison that I may <laughs> praise your name. What a great thing. Thank you, Ramona. That's really good. Um, yeah, she definitely uh, hoodoo psychic that a bit. Uh, I was just going to mm-hmm. say Psalm 142, verse 7 is perfect here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to you know, Go ahead. Onyx Rose said, uh, "Regret, remorse, yeah, for the broken one, yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. also it's it's a mental thing. So yeah, you're right too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, let's turn this over to Conjurman, and he's going to uh, give us some root work based on the cards that we both pulled and yeah. what he sees too." So I'm going to give you some recommendations, which actually going to incorporate that Psalm 142 as well. It's part of my recommendation. Uh, it's part of the petition paper. What you're first going to actually do is go to the graveyard of where an ancestor of his is buried. If you can get access to it, it might require a little bit of travel. Uh, but if you can get to it, it's worthwhile to do so. If not, then you're going to have to call upon them without access to the grave. But the person, the, the the spiritual entities that want to see your husband released are going to be his ancestors. They want to see him happy and thriving. So go to someone that is uh, invested in them. And you can find this ancestor. Go to their graveyard. Speak his case before them. Say he has been held he has been held prisoner. He has been held four times. He's gone up before this day. He needs to be released. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to grab the gravestone and shake it lightly. You're not trying to rip the thing out of the ground, which is somewhat impossible anyways. But you're supposed to shake it lightly. This is a very old way of working. It's called rousing the dead to help liberate someone. It's an old way of doing court case magic. You're supposed to. So in most graveyard work, it involves like knocking on the grave, which is speaking and gathering the dirt. But we're specifically told in the styles of conjure that we find in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that if you want someone released, you actually have to shake the tomb of the, the actual headstone a little bit. So you shake it as you call out to them, and then you leave three coins and gather a bit of the dirt. Take this dirt home and add it to a bowl. And in this bowl, you're going to put a pinch of sugar, not a lot, just a pinch of sugar, some cascara sagrada, and some sumac. These are all really good in this instance for court case work. Set this up on an altar that you will work. Now, what you're going to do is also create a honey jar. You know who will be on the board or the judges or the people that will be involved. Write their name on a piece of paper, turn it, and then write your husband's name over it three times, crossing it. On the back of this paper is where you'll write Psalm 142, verse 7. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. You're going to write that. Then in the center of this paper, you're going to put put a pinch of sumac, one bay leaf for success. You're going to put a little john to choose, just a small piece of it, fold it up, and put it into a honey jar. Close that honey jar up. Now you're going to set this honey jar up right next to this bowl. And for nine days, you're going to take a brown candle that you've anointed with court case oil and you're going to light it uh, on top of this honey jar. As you do this, you will take a skeleton key, stick it into that dirt, and turn it to unlock him from prison. 
to open those doors, to release those fetters. You're going to turn it, and you're going to pray as you do. You're going to do this for nine days. You have to get this started. For nine days, if you can do it. If you can't do nine days, then do seven days. If you can't do seven days, do three days. But you've got to do it in advance. You're going to keep doing this, and you're going to pray, turning that key, turning that key, unlocking your husband from prison. On the night before the parole, I want you to get some little John to chew and soften it. Then the day of, you're going to put it in your mouth and chew it up. If you can get access to the prison or where this parole board is going to be, excellent. I want you to surreptitiously, I want you very carefully and you know, casually spit a little bit of the little John to chew around where they'll walk through it. If or because of COVID protocols or just access, you can't do that, then what I want you to do is that in the hour that he will be going before the parole board, light a brown candle, put that little John to chew in your mouth, and chew and pray the entire time he is before the parole board. The entire time. Praying and calling out the little John to chew will heat your prayers up and allow it to be heard. If you can also get a bit of the dirt to him, this is tricky. Prisons are very hard to get things in. But I have had cases where I was able to do so. It's a bit tricky. You have to find that sort of way to do so. You just need to get a little pinch of the dirt to him so that he can put it in his shoe as he goes before the parole board. That way there's some type of physical connection to that meeting. Any type of physical connection, whether you can get that dirt in his shoe or you can spit where people will walk through it, will help to really increase the success. If nothing else, then put that little John to chew in your mouth, light that brown candle on your honey jar, and pray while he is before the board. That's my recommendation here. Let's see if Angela and Ms. Cat have anything further to add. Wow. That was very, very thorough. Um, what do you say, Angela? Do you have anything to add to that? When he was talking about the, the spell with the key, uh, something that popped into my head was I used to have, actually I still have it somewhere, a little toy safe that <clears throat> I thought of putting either the honey jar or a, or a doll of him into the safe and, you know, using the key to unlock the safe and open it every time. Wow. That, that so having a, symbolic, yeah, having a symbolic safe or, or box. Um yeah, that's a that's a neat way to um to do it, to open it up. Um, you know, I I did also have one other thing that I would add to this, which is that um there's a couple of other herbs that are used by people who cannot get to and particularly now with COVID you might not be able to get mm-hmm. into the room. Well, yeah. one of them is tobacco. And you can, um, I, I'm not a big fan of smoking tobacco, but if you light a little tobacco, it is said to waft your wishes anywhere in the world. And it's a sacred herb. And so you could um, blow a little tobacco smoke um, if you could not attend, but maybe, you know, just something to think about uh, if you were at home. All right. Mm, well, good luck, and I wish you all the best. It's a tricky situation. It looks like people have a lot of good thoughts. So also go to the Crystal Silence League at crystalsilenceleague.org and start posting your prayers every day, and people will pray for you as the day approaches. 
And don't use your real name or his real name, please, or you'll regret it. (laughs) All right, we're going to turn this over to uh, uh, our network schedule announcement, which is this giant machine that comes to life at this time of day. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Glad to be back, and now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Angela Marie Horner of LotusRavenConjure.com in Santa Rosa, California. Take it away, Angela. Hello. All right, so we were talking about Ostara and eggs and the Easter thing and the not-so-Easter thing. So get yourself some eggs. Didn't see that one coming, did you? So you're going to take your egg and you're going to blow it. What that means is you're going to put a hole in it. Some people scramble it on the inside because it makes it easier for them to get it out. Some people don't. And you get the contents of the egg out without destroying the shell. That's the tricky part. It took me like six tries the first time. And then you wash the inside of the egg out. You rinse it out with some water. And on the outside of the egg, you're going to draw your wishes. If it's a money egg, you're going to use, of course, green and gold and yellows, and you're going to color it with, you know, crayons, wax, whatever, and put your wishes into it. If it's fertility, you're going to put little babies on it or hearts or whatever conveys your wishes in your own quote-unquote words. And that's what you're going to do to the outside of it. To the inside of it, you're going to put your appropriate herbs. You're going to put your pyrite or you're going to put um, your your uh Queen Elizabeth and your John the Conqueror root in it or your little baby dolls. You're going to put signs and symbols and sigils and all kinds of little things inside. Also, we're going to tie this to some hoodoo work, and you're going to take your petition. Now, your petition should be a normal petition, like on the brown shopping paper or even the faux parchment that they sell. They also sell real parchments. Keep that one in mind. And you're going to write your petition in your own words on this piece of paper. Make it come from the heart. Make it, make it, don't fake it. Make it come from the heart. And then you're going to five-spot it with the appropriate oil. If it's money oil, money stay with me, money come to me, money drawing, money whatever. If it's fertility, if it's love, if it's whatever, you're going to five-spot it. So... Each corner and then in the middle is going to be a five spot for the oil. You're going to roll it towards you if you're bringing something to you. This is not the time for doing curses, though it's possible and kind of dangerous in this situation, but 
roll it towards you, and then you're going to fit that paper into the egg. Make sure it's not too big or it's not going to fit in your egg. And then you're going to take it out into nature and you're going to hide it somewhere. Hide it real good. The, the purpose of this is to, is to give this as a gift to the spirit so they will manifest it in the real world. So your wishes are spiritual. The egg is physical. And so you take the egg out and give it to the spirits of nature to turn around and manifest these things for you in the physical. If your spell egg is not found by the end of the year, your wishes will come true. Wow. You can, if no humans find it, that's true, if no humans find it. Um, animals are good because animals are usually messengers of the spirit. Um, if you want to encourage it to be taken to the spirits quicker, you could put a little, you could add a little bit of cat food to it because ravens <laughs> adore cat food and they'll find your egg instantaneously and take it off. And that will get it to the, uh, that'll get it to the spirits a lot quicker. <laughs> I love the idea and that's of adding my cat spell. food. Thank you. That's a wonderful <laughs> spell. I um I like a little I have a little trail of cat food leading to the egg. That's very that's very cute. Or maybe a piece of cat food inside the egg. That's a really yeah, neat spell. Yeah, fit inside and, the egg. I mean, raccoons will find it too, though. Mm-hmm. Peanuts also work really well with ravens. Yeah. Peanuts. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, we have here. This is um this is a two raven show. Because Conjure Man is also known as Doctor Raven, and and uh, so we have a Doctor Raven and a Lotus Raven. My old email was yeah, Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) Yeah, all the ravens in my area prefer um, Frisky's cat food. Oh, that's good to know. This is the dry Frisky's cat food. Okay. Frisky's cat food. They they like it in my neighborhood, and whenever I come home with it, it's like you know, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, okay, guys, here you go, and I'll give them some, mm-hmm. and they'll come down and eat it. Ravens have a very long memory. If you're mm-hmm. nice to them, they're nice to you. If you're mean right. to them, you're gonna wish you weren't. Because <laughs> right. they're vindictive, smart too. Well, this this spell uh, this spell worked inside an egg is interesting because there are a lot of other hoodoo spells worked inside eggs. One of them that um, has always fascinated me is to take uh, needles and put it inside of an egg. That's more of a you know a, a danger spell. You know what I mean? So the mm-hmm. egg is used as a, a container. Um, there's a there are a lot of ways to work with nature and I think what you're really pointing out here is that to do this spell and do it right you have to be in nature so if someone now would raise their hand and go but I live on the 22nd floor of an apartment block how can I do this get into the elevator go down and take the egg into nature and there are this is the best time of year to really think about working in nature and doing things that are natural. What do you have to say about this, Contraman? 
Yeah, I love the idea of working with nature in this way. And there's all sorts of kind of really old hoodoo ways of doing this, right? Like we have traditions of burying things at trees, hanging things from trees, leaving things at ant hills, right? So that the ants can get to them. And so I love this way of working. It incorporates a really organic energy or spirit into the work. I love the idea that if uh, this thing is not found by the end of the year, it comes to pass. Just beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Angela. Yeah, that's a You're great very one. I really... I like it. All right, there is our musical cue, and that means we're going to turn this over to Clifford Lowe, who is thankfully back online again, and uh, he's going to bring us our closing announcements, and then we're all going to come back and make what other statements we have to say in the show, and then we'll say goodbye. So take it away, Clifford. Thank you, Ms. Kat and Conjure Men, and thank you, Angela Marie Horner of LotusRavenConjure.com in Santa Rosa, California, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest will be Sister Girl of SisterGirlConjure.com uh, in Los Angeles, California, on the topic of spell work with photographs. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Power brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Ms. Kat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com. Um, and Conjureman at ConjuremanConsulting.com, Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, joining, us from, uh, joining you from Clifflowe.com. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo River Tower can be heard every week live at Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via LuckyMojo.com slash RadioShow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at this same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you, Clifford. And I just have time to say that um, we've been working on the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. We have achieved postcard, and on Tuesday we'll be putting out our first video the festival is august 13th and 14th and two of the people here three of the people here um uh, on this show will be at the festival presenting clifford will be presenting about lodestones angela marie horner will be presenting about the seven roots of power and i'll be presenting about the mystery topic um and i think i ought to now begin to declare it's going to be about doll babies okay so uh, mm-hmm. Time to time to go buy your tickets, and you can go to hoodooheritagefestival dot com and uh, find your tickets there. And um, they will come with a goodie box. Those of you who are unfamiliar with our festivals, these are not just lectures. It's not just a video. You will have things to do, and you'll get a goodie box for your. Um, a ticket price, it'll be sent to you by mail. So order quickly so that we know how many goodie boxes to make and that everyone gets a goodie box. All right, everybody, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you later.